Nobody wants to be opposed. The follower of Jesus Christ does not want to be opposed. But opposition is exactly what we're promised. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Opposition is what separated Joseph from his family and threw him into a prison. It's what pushed Moses and the Israelites up against the Red Sea. It plotted the genocide of God's people in Susa during the time of Esther. Opposition towered over a shepherd boy with a slingshot, and it came out in droves of soldiers against the King Jehoshaphat. Elijah stood opposed by 450 prophets of Baal. Opposition executed God's prophets, beheaded John the Baptist, and stoned Stephen outside the city. It presses in on the church today, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But do not be scared. Take courage. The enemy hates those who fear the Lord. We know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air and oversees spiritual forces of evil. He orchestrates and motivates many forces against the follower of Jesus Christ, but fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Steady your heart in the fear of the Lord, firm in the promise of his salvation. Do not be scared, take courage. It was courage that allowed Joseph to wait with patience in his prison until the appointed time of Israel's preservation. It caused Moses to part the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land. Courage accompanied Esther into the throne room of the king to save God's chosen people and took down a giant with a smooth river stone. It filled Jehoshaphat to rout the Moabites and Elijah to call down fire from heaven. Courage gave John the Baptist faith to make a way for the Lord and Stephen to see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Courage led the Son of Man to Golgotha, where opposition made its final stand and fell defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's courage that fills us today to resist the enemy, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. Opposition will come, but stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Thank God for men and women who are willing to take a stand. Our theme has been from Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says that we should stand therefore and explains to us what the armor of God looks like. But that phrase right ahead of that, we rarely focus on, and having done all to stand. Before you take a stand, there are some things you need to do first. It's been commonly said that in times of opposition, stress, or pressure, that you will not rise to the level of your ability, but will rather sink to the level of your training. What do you do ahead of time before it's called on you to take a stand. And the first question that we asked at the beginning of the series was, have you prayed? Prayer is a dialogue with God. It's not speaking things into existence. It's dialoguing with God and interacting with him and hearing what he has to say. 
Second, have you fasted? There's some things that don't happen without prayer and fasting. Third, have you given? Because when you give, it shows your loyalty. It provides protection and blessing. And last week, have you read the word? If you stand where the word stands, the word will stand where you stand. What does the word say? And the final question in this series is this. Are you in community? Are you in biblical community? We were not intended by God to live this life alone, nor to ever stand alone. We are the body of Christ, fully dependent on Jesus, but interdependent on one another. It's not just you and Jesus, as the old uh, gospel song said, that have your own thing going. It's you and I and Jesus that are part of the body of Christ. So having done all, before you stand, before you take that position, before you have to fight the enemy, make sure that you're in biblical community. The American way is to be independent and not, not requiring the support of anyone, and that's to the detriment of the body of Christ. You know the Bible talks much about what it means to be a one another congregation or a one another body. There's over a hundred times in the New Testament that we're commanded to do things with one another. So I'm just going to read through these. Um, you're not going to be able to write these down, but just hear them, get the impact. What does the Bible say about this community, this interaction? Well, number one, love one another. Then it goes on, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded toward one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth and love to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, submit to one another, consider others better than yourself, look to the interests of one another, bear with one another, teach one another, comfort one another, exhort one another, encourage another, stir up one another, show hospitality one another, employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, pray for one another, and confess your faults one to another, and you can't do any of that alone. <laughs> you can't. Now, if you're having conversations with yourself, I know there's value in speaking out your faith, but this is a relational body commitment. And our, I'm going to tell you, we have an on-ramp for that. I'm not going to preach about that. I'm just going to tell you in the onset, the on-ramp for that. I get calls. Someone will say, well, I need help with this project in my house. Or, Do you have anyone that can help me with this? Um, we're not going to send out a blast email to the entire church body of about 1,500 people. Instead, if you're in a community group, that's your on-ramp to biblical community, to getting the support and help that you need. And um, in order for us to know what's happening in your life, community groups are the, or connect groups, I'm sorry, did I say community groups? Connect groups are the on-ramp for that. So we want you in a connect group so that you can experience one another. Because I'm going to tell you, there's not a lot of one another interaction that happens on a Sunday morning. Because you can ignore one another. You can avoid one another. You can be pretend polite to one another. 
But there is something about faith and growth that requires us to be in biblical community. How many are at least understanding what I'm saying right now? If you want to just come come in late, leave early, and nobody see you, that's, that's your prerogative, but you're going to miss out on the richness and depth of what God has for your life. You can't do one another alone. So I, want, I was thinking about this, how to approach it, because there's so much. So I'm going to preach a 100-point message this morning. No, I just have simple thoughts for you to think about, about this one another. First, community was God's design for the church. It wasn't an afterthought. It's not a um, strategy of the current generation. It was God's design. We talk about Acts chapter 2 as the birth of the church, and I reject that as the birth of the church. I see it as the organizing and empowering of the church because I believe the church was born in John chapter 19 when they were talking about Jesus appeared after the resurrection and said to them, receive ye the Holy Spirit and breathed on them. And that nucleus of people, the disciples, became the foundation for the church. From there, you have a group that gathers in the upper room. Many that were invited didn't show, but there's a group of 120 in the upper room that are seeking God, that are waiting in Jerusalem when the power of God falls. And as Pentecostals, we cherish the first part of chapter 2, when there appeared unto them cloven tongues like the fire that sat on each of them. There came a sound like a rushing mighty wind from heaven. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And people gathered from all over town. How loud was it on that first worship service? It was so loud that they heard it all over town. They gathered around to see what was going on. And they said, how is it we hear these people speaking in our native languages about the wonderful works of God? And we celebrate that. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. That's incredible growth from 120 that gathered in an upper room. And shortly, a few days later, 3,000 come into the kingdom. Just as important as the first part of Acts chapter 2 is the strategy at the end of Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 says this They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what we see about them is how important this gathering together was. It's often called in church um, growth or church strategies the wifty principle. Excuse me, wifty principle, not that you whiffed at the swing, but four components are articulated here, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and evangelism. But I want to look at it in a little different flow. What is happening here? This group, 3,000 that were uninitiated, that had not gone through launch pad, didn't have any training, when they were touched by the power of God, they were devoted to the work of the kingdom. That's what happens when you really meet God. Come on, someone help me this morning. There's a devotion that rises up. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to community, breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. 
And then when they were devoted to the work of the kingdom, the power of God amplifies and miracles and signs are done. How devoted were they? Well, they had no support group. They had no way to build a fund. So everybody sold what they had and gave it to the church. And the church divided according to their need so that the work of God could be committed. How many of you would say that's pretty devoted? That's a new line in Launchpad. To become a member of Berean, you have to sell everything you have and we'll give back you an allowance. (laughs) I think that would cut down membership. How many think that would cut down membership? Well, we don't need that today. That's why it's not prescribed. It's not repeated. But look at what happens. 3,000 that gather from all around the here are that devoted to what God is doing from one encounter with the Spirit of God. And then they're devoted to community. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more tonight in Vision for 2022. But every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was their large group gathering. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There were two things that happened as they established the church that are repeated throughout the um, Acts account and in the epistles and to this current day. Two components that are necessary. There needs to be a corporate large group gathering of worship where we experience the power of God together. And then there needs to be a fellowship breaking bread in homes where life is lived out and your prayer requests are shared. Victories can be encouraged because it's the large group corporate worship and small group interaction. Corporate worship and home fellowship. Now, when you read through the scripture, you'll find that initiatory moments are really, really important to God. There are lines that he draws when a particular ministry or a new outpouring of his spirit is established. God takes that very, very seriously. That's why in just a few chapters, you'll read about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira that said they sold everything and they didn't, they lied, and they weren't judged because they didn't sell any, everything they, and give it, they were judged because they lied about what they had done. And the early church could not sustain a foundation based on liars, and God strikes them dead, and Peter says, you've not lied to men, but unto God. The Holy Spirit has convicted you and you've resisted that, because initiatory moments are really, really important. God says at the beginning, This is how it's supposed to be done. Genesis, man and woman for life. This is how it's supposed to be done. Not a man and a dolphin. (laughs) That's happening. I don't know if you know that. There are people marrying animals. It's a crazy mixed up world. That was not God's plan. And in the initiatory moments, he forcefully and clearly establishes. What did he establish in Acts chapter 2? That we would gather together corporately, but we would also gather relationally. I, I, I didn't plan to say this, but I want to do it by way of illustration, not a pat on my back. But 
I got one of the, probably one of the best compliments I've ever, uh, the, the most encouraging things said to me on my way in this morning. Someone thanked me for being authentic. That in my preaching, I don't stand up here and tell you that I have, that I'm walking on Mount Sinai, come up and join me, but to say, I'm on a journey, let's do it together, okay? So on Sunday morning, when you come, you can pretend to be on top of the mountain. You can be spit-shined and polished and act like you have it all together. I'm in church today. But authenticity happens relationally in small groups. I'll, and things happen there that can't happen. In fact, I just, I had a memory. Can I share a memory that just popped into my head? I'd forgotten all about this, but it's a great story. So sometimes people will say to me on Sunday morning when they fall asleep, I hope you didn't notice I fell asleep. I don't care if you fall asleep. I just want you to get something out of Sunday morning. And if it's rest, that's a good thing. <laughs> just please don't snore. You know, and if someone by you is snoring, wake them up. All right? But in a small group, if you're in a small group and fall asleep, they're probably going to need to lay hands on you. We had a small group gathering of college students, a number of years ago, and I don't even remember who it was, but I remember a young lady walked in, and she was determined to not enjoy the evening, and she was having a bad day, and she sat down on our couch and slumped over sideways. I mean, she's laying halfway over on the couch, and she's whining and griping and complaining. We're trying to pull her in, and she won't respond, and I finally walked up to her, and I said, that is enough. Sit up and participate or go home. And she sat up. And then we were able to help her and find out what was happening in her life. It was a dramatic plea for attention and help. I, I can't do that from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Well, I could. But I think it might impact attendance. <laughs> but in a small group, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to say to you that authenticity happens in relationship when you talk to one another and share with one another. And we need the corporate worship experience. Is there anybody getting this this morning? We need the corporate worship experience and we need to get back to that because we've allowed the culture to strip that from us. It's time to reclaim that, but it's also time to reclaim small group interconnectedness because that is how the Spirit of God set it up in Acts chapter 2. It's the way he set it up. And here's what happens. They're worshiping and meeting together. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now watch. I believe that the church should be both missional and attractional. What does that mean? 
that we should be missional, intentional about reaching people and attractional that they'll want to come. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. There's a great debate in church uh, growth circles about that concept. But I think both happen here. But what happened was when they were worshiping together and doing life together, God's spirit began to flow through them. And without an evangelism plan, God started adding to the church daily. Why? Because when you come out of the house of God with the touch of God on your life, you're going into a world that needs to see what the power of God can do. And when you're living it out relationally and you're talking about it in a small group, it makes it easier to talk to your neighbor or someone at the store because you've been able to explore that together in a small group context. Hallelujah. I'll shout myself down this morning if I have to. The church is the body of Christ. So I'm going to say something here I've said over the years and it almost always makes somebody mad. Okay. So if this makes you mad, I'm really sorry that it made you mad. Ready? I don't, I'm saying this for your benefit. So buckle in, relax, don't send me an email. You cannot be right with the head of the church and at odds with his body. You cannot. You cannot be okay with Jesus and at odds with his body. You, you don't, Jesus is not a talking head floating around the universe. He is the head of what? The body. For you to truly be right with the head, you have to also be right with the body. And that's interaction with the body of Christ. Are we perfect? No. Someone point at an imperfect person. Everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Because that's all of us. And are there going to be bumps and bruises and mistakes and rude people? I got to tell you, this, is just, this just fits in here. But we, were, we, we had a birthday party for one of my grandsons. And my youngest grandson sitting at the table. And his dad uh, is talking to him while he's sucking on a candy cane. And his dad said to him, now Jotham, you can't eat that entire candy cane. And Jotham is sucking on it. Stopped. He's three years old. He's sucking on it. Stopped. Looked at him and he said, Dad, uh, you're like kind of being rude. <laughs> I almost fell on the floor. That was hilarious. When I was a parent, that would have ticked me off. But as a grandparent, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Yes, you're going to have times with other believers that you want to look at them and say, you know, like you're kind of being rude. That's going to happen. But that's how life is lived out. Is there anyone hearing me this morning? And it's in small group interconnectedness that we work that through and live that out. And it's the way that God established it, that we would live life together. The church is the body of Christ, and you are members in particular. I mean, what happens if you cut your finger off and lay it along the side of the road? It doesn't walk off. It's dead. You have to be part of the body. So second... Well, that took longer than I thought. <laughs> Second, I want you to consider the power, not just God's design, but the power of biblical community. In Acts chapter 4, as soon as the church starts, it faces opposition. God does a miracle. Peter, by the power of God, raises up a lame man, and there's this, there's this swell of enthusiasm over this 
new declaration of faith in Jesus, and the old regime hates it, which is always the case. The old regime can get stuck in their ways and want it the way it used to be and get in the way of what God wants to do today. Is there anyone in the house? You've got to be able to move on with what God is doing fresh and new, and they don't want to see this happen because they don't want to move on in their faith. They don't, they don't see Jesus as the Messiah, and they bring Peter and John in and threaten them. Now, this wasn't just the board at Berean. This was the Sanhedrin. It was like the supreme court of the religious world of that day. You don't get any higher than that. And in the Jewish mind, for you to be excommunicated from the Jewish faith was the same as being consigned to hell. So they're going to take this very seriously, and they're being threatened and told what's going to happen. And we'll see later that those weren't empty threats. But can you imagine this first thing happens where God moves, the church grows, people are being saved, and the the Sanhedrin is threatening to do horrible things to you if you don't shut up. It's in that context that they say, whether it be right to hearken unto men and unto God, you judge. But as for us, we're going we're gonna to obey God. But here's what just, this just so encourages me. They're threatening them. They let them go. On their release, are you ready? Everybody ready? On their release, they went back to their own people. Woo! <laughs> First question, do you have any people of your own to go back to? They went back to their own. When you come under attack, when the devil is threatening you, there is something about going back to the people that you're in relationship with and finding there the support and strength and encouragement that you need. There's something incredibly warm and loving and reaffirming and reassuring in that. Now, on Sunday morning, you're, it is our people. We're all our people. But I dare say, nobody could walk up here and probably name half the people in the room. But when you're in a community context, you can go back to your own people. Sometimes you need someone to rejoice when you rejoice, and you need someone to weep when, when you weep. How many know that it's good to have somebody that's walking with you? One of the great joys of my life is when somebody calls at a a couple of pastors called this week and said, God did some great things and I just wanted to share it with someone. That is so encouraging because they're my people, just like you are. They're my people. I'm in relationship with them. I don't get random calls from ministers around the world saying, I picked your name out of a phone book and I want to share with you what God is doing. Where does that sharing happen? Where you have relationship. So if there's no one there, you need to fix that because there's a way for you to build biblical community. And I know we're all different. I know we're all different. I, when, I was, when I was in junior high, a family came to our church. Had a young man my age. And I thought he was, would be a cool guy to have as a friend. 
And I remember praying, God, would you have him come talk to me? I'd like him to be my friend. God, would you send him? Do you think God answered that prayer? He did not. But I do remember, even as a junior hire, God speaking to me and saying, if you want him to be your friend, why don't you go befriend him? What a novel idea. And I've never spent my life waiting for someone to come find me. I have looked for people to find, to reach out to, to build friendships with, to extend my hand. And you'll find others ready to receive as well because community is something that you build and there's power in that. You're going to need sometime some people to go back to. You're going to need sometime some people to celebrate with. And the richness and depth of that ministry will be completely dependent on the relationship that you've built. I've learned the hard way. <laughs> I just want to be, I just want to talk for a minute. Is that okay? I've learned the hard way that there's a big difference between professional relationships and personal relationships. There are a lot of people I have a relationship with because of my profession that don't know anything about what's happening in my life and never respond. You know who responds? People I'm in community with. Not blaming them. I'm just saying that's the reality. And that was never made more clear than a couple days after our son passed. And our world is in this spin. And there aren't assemblies of God pastors at my door. They're not calling. They're not, and I'm not blaming them because I was as much to blame for that as well. Are you hearing me? But there's a knock at the door. The open Bible pastor is standing there and he's got a cooler full of ice and soft drinks. And I'm thinking, what in the, what? My son died and you're bringing me pop? I mean, I wasn't thinking straight. Any, any of you ever not think straight? Point at your neighbor, because you know. I said, what is this? <clears throat> he said, pretty soon, your house is going to be filled with people. And you don't need to be running to the store to find them something to drink. So just use this cooler. <sighs> and I will never forget he looked me in the eye as I took that cooler. And he said, Maranatha, our Lord comes. Amen. Do you know where that came from? Relationship. Interconnectedness. I knew him. We had walked life together. Some years later, that same pastor is riding a bicycle down the street, walking or, or running his dog. When the dog runs in front of the bike, gets tangled up in it. He's not wearing a helmet. It throws him off the bike. He lands on his head, a traumatic brain injury. And they don't know if he's going to live. And I'll tell you, I was there by his side, not because it was a professional thing to do, but because it was someone I cared about relationally. And no one had to say, can you go see him? We had relationship and I was there. How many hearing what I'm saying 
That's what small group ministry does. Come on. There's power in that because you live life together. You do life together. You walk alongside each other. They went back to their own people. Now watch. They began to pray. I don't know if Peter and John would pray that alone, but how many of you, I don't know about you, but how many of you would agree with me that sometimes it's easier to see your courage rise when you're with a group of people who are encouraging your courage to rise? How many of you play mental wars, mental battles, where you think about things, it gets worse and worse and worse. I have a, a nephew I'm praying for. I want you to pray for him. His name is Joe. He's battling COVID. And there are two battles going on in his life right now. One is a physical battle. The other is the mental battle. How many know what I'm talking about? What helps you the most when someone is fighting a mental battle? It's someone coming alongside you, others coming alongside you that help you understand that that mental battle is not where you have to live. They help walk you through it. Come on, someone help me this morning. This is good preaching this morning. I'll just encourage myself. Good job, good job. (laughs) The whole idea being... When you're gathered together, you can strengthen one another, correct one another. So look, after they've been threatened, how they pray. They pray this way. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father David. Why did the nations rage? The people plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together and the Lord uh, against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided before and should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness give us more boldness stretch out your hand we got in trouble for one being healed let there be a thousand healed that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy child jesus then what happened when they were in trouble they went back to their own They shared the need. They prayed together. And the place was shaken. Can you imagine that kind of a prayer meeting? Now, I I know sometimes the bass can be loud and it feels like it's shaking. But I mean shaking by the power of God that the thing really does begin to shake. I would terrify most of us. But the place was shaken. The Holy Spirit fell. They were refilled with his power and went on to speak in boldness. Why did that happen? Because they went back to their community. They went back to their connect group. They went back to where they had relationship and out of that God honored that and poured out his spirit and empowered them. That's the power of community interaction. Are you in community? They were refueled and refired by the power of God and spoke with boldness. But I also want you to consider then the pain of isolation. What happens to people that try to do it alone? Well, I I don't want to be misunderstood. 
If you're on a desert island and there is nobody there, you can make it to heaven without community. (laughs) I mean, some people probably should be on a desert island. You've heard, right, about the guy on the desert island? They finally found him after years, and he had three buildings he had built there. What's this one? This is where I live. What's this one? It's where I go to church. What's this one? It's where I used to go to church. I mean, they're just, you know. Paul says one of the saddest things I think I've read in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's talking about the trials and travails that he's gone through. And in verse 16, he says this. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Yeah, I I get it. I'm not saying that that intergroup connectedness is the answer to everything. Because have you ever felt like nobody understands and nobody cares? This was real. He was on trial for his life. And as he stands before the defense to be tried, nobody shows up. Oh, oh. But what does he say next? Next he said, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side. If nobody is there, and if the community doesn't support you, and they don't understand, or for whatever reason they can't be there, the Lord stands by your side because he is the source of strength. But you have to admit, there's a bit of sorrow and pain in the words. At my first defense, everyone deserted me. No one stood with me. But in that moment, the Lord stood by my side. He will be there for you. Come on. He will be there for you. But then he goes on to explain a little bit more. Community is a twofold commitment. You're committed to that group, and that group needs to commit to you, but sometimes they may fail for whatever reason. Prior to that, here's what he says. Verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because I love this world, has deserted me. Demas worked alongside Paul and gave up and left him. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Now, I don't know, and we don't know about Crescens or Cretans and Titus, why they left. But it doesn't matter. If someone leaves you for a good reason, they still leave you. You're still alone, and he's feeling that absence. Thank God for Luke. Only Luke is with me. Luke hung in there. Get Mark, the one that he had kicked off the team. Bring him with you because he's helpful to my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left at Carpus, uh, with Carpus and bring the scrolls. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a good deal of harm. The Lord repay him for what he's done. It is all right sometimes to pray that prayer. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. He identifies those who forsook him. Only Luke is with me, and the Lord stands by my side. I promise you, God will always 
bring someone along. There'll always be a Luke if you're not pushing people away. There'll always be a Luke and the Lord. The Lord and Luke. (laughs) The Lord and Luke will always be with you. In Acts chapter 14, as we go back to Paul's journey, some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over against Paul. And it's that story where they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. So they drag him out, leave him there to die. But watch, after the disciples had gathered around him, they couldn't stop the stoning, and they certainly didn't step up to take the stones. But when they drug him outside the city, his community gathered around him. Those that he had done life with came out to see what had happened, and thinking he was dead, he got up and went back into the city. I'm just going to tell you, metaphorically, I hope none of you have to have that kind of a resurrection. But there have been times that I've felt like I'd been beaten to death by the world. But when believers gathered around me, I got up and I was ready to go into the next town. That's the pain of isolation and the power of biblical community. Solomon speaks of that very clearly when he says, there was a man in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, there was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And he says, for whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He's looking at people who are living their lives alone that have no one to share it with. And what meaning is there in the effort that you put forth if there's no one to share it with? He goes on to say two are better than one. And we use this in weddings, but it's so much more important than just a wedding. It's a life truth. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and knows to help him up. If two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend them. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, in his journey to see things that are vain, that are empty, that don't matter. And he's tried it all. He's tried everything. He's tried, he's tried all of the uh, enjoyments of the world, money, excess in food and drink, in women. He's tried it all, and it all comes back empty. But he sees something in that chapter that makes sense to him. One thing that will bring fulfillment to your life is living in community. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think about poor Elijah. (laughs) Poor old Elijah. He's had that great experience on Mount Carmel. Wouldn't you like to have been there? When the prophets of Baal gather together And he says to them, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And they put their sacrifice up on their golden calf and they're dancing and cutting themselves and yelling. And he's mocking them, yell louder, he might be on a trip. Yell louder, he might be in the bathroom, yell louder. I mean, he's going on saying all kinds of things and they're getting more and more upset and nothing happens. Then he sets up his altar 
and then he puts the sacrifice on the altar and douses it with water. And then the fire of God falls and does what is physically impossible. Not only does it consume the sacrifice, it licks up the water out of the trenches. And then he goes to see all of the prophets of Baal are gathered and killed. He goes to see um, Ahab and talks to him about a sound of abundance of rain. And God's going to bless the land again. And then he hears that Jezebel, he can face, <laughs> he can face all the prophets of Baal. He could run down a mountain. But when he hears that Jezebel's after him, that's a serious threat. (laughs) No, no, God, you don't understand. It's Jezebel. He's in a cave hiding for his life. He's all alone. God feeds him, refreshes him. Then God comes by with a wind but God's not in the wind he comes by with fire God's not in the fire and then he comes by with an earthquake but God's not in the earthquake and what are you doing here Elijah what are you doing here finally the end of the story Elijah begins to complain God I've done all this for you and I'm the only one you ever felt like you're the only one doing right the only one standing right not if you're in community and what does God say to him he's saying Elijah you don't have, I'm not suggesting Elijah did anything wrong. But Elijah was uninformed because he's running solo. He said, I have 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. Listen to me, church. You are not alone. There are people going through the same struggles, the same fires, the same challenges. And as you, as you, if, if you get in your cave of depression and discouragement and and negative talk. You'll sit there and you won't be able to see God in the wind, the fire, the earthquake. But God will say to you in a moment of revelation, I have a community. I have 7,000. Elijah, don't despair. You're not alone. And God brings him out of the cave. Think about how lonely. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in that place of despair. I'm the only one. Nobody cares. Nobody knows where I am. God does. He has people gathered. And I don't think it's coincidental that shortly after that, God puts Elijah and Elisha together. That was to pass the torch. Elijah also had interaction with the school of the prophets, but he had forgotten about those connections. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Before you take a stand, we talk about the warfare and the armor of God. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have our loins girt about with truth. We have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have the shield of faith. And we're carrying the sword of the spirit. And we can win against all the wiles of the devil. But he says before that, before you stand, have you done what you need to do to be able to stand? And I'm suggesting to you that in scripture... There are five things that will prepare you to stand. The first is, have you prayed? Second, have you fasted? Third, have you given? Fourth, have you read the word? And fifth, are you in community? And I'm I'm telling you, if you've done those five things, 
You've done what you need to stand. Stand therefore. Stand therefore. And let's put the devil to flight. But you've got to do what you need to do to stand. So my challenge to you is, oh, I know this whole idea of biblical community is intimidating and threatening. And you may have your own group. I'm not saying that connect groups are the only way to do that. And we're not doing a sign up for them. We're already in connect groups. This next, uh, our next session is already happening. But I look back at Christmas time and the list of things, I don't remember the dozen projects that were done by community groups that would not have happened in a large group approach. There's something that happens there. But it's scary. It can be threatening to open the door and let someone in or to walk in somebody else's door. How many know I'm saying? It can be a scary place. Risk it. You'll find it worth it. Because the devil works best when he keeps you in isolation. When you're in community, there are other people standing with you. There are 7,000 others that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Let's stand together and just ask God to show you how best to put yourself in community with others so you're not doing this life alone. Just ask him to show you how you can enter into that place of safety.
I just want to give you thanks that in your wisdom and your foreknowledge you know exactly what we need to be able to be victorious in this world of challenges you've given us the body of Christ in corporate worship and in community interaction and help us find that place of balance I ask in Jesus name and everybody said, if you're in love with Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. I am not suggesting that connect groups are the only way to get in a community. I'm saying that the way we have established is connect groups. That's what we're providing. So do that, join that. And thank you so much after reviewing the past year and looking what we've been through the past two years, you have been faithful. You've been above faithful in financial support and God honors that and blesses you and we can build the kingdom together. So thank you for that. God bless you. Be an encouragement someday. Shake your hand. Tell me you're glad they're here. Amen.